Welcome to Drinking With Authors. I'm your host, Erica Lance. My amazing Spider-Man clad hostess co-host is Danielle Orsino. And our guest today is Ryan Estrada. Welcome. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Okay, let's talk about what we're drinking. So I have a old school drinking with author swag. You'll get swag for being on the show. And because we're recording in the morning, I decided to make myself a screwdriver. I was going to do a mimosa, but then I realized I'd have an entire bottle of champagne, which I don't need to drink today because I feel like champagne doesn't keep well. That's my opinion. It's in the fridge. So we have a screwdriver with orange juice. Ryan, what are you drinking? To- oh, Danielle, sorry. I'm out of sequence. Oh, that's okay. You can no. Ryan can go. Well, let's that's do okay. Ryan first. Let's do something yeah. different. Ryan, what are you drinking? Sure. Well, I'm I'm not uh, doing this in the morning. I'm doing this at 11 p.m. from Busan, South Korea. And uh, I'm having an omija cha, which is uh, a very Korean drink. It's uh, omija tea. Omija is a berry that I guess is also known as magnolia berry. Oh. And it's known for ha- having five flavors, uh, sweet, salty, bitter, uh, sweet, salty, bitter, and pungent. Uh, I'm missing one. I wrote down salty twice. But um <laughs> This is not alcoholic, but apparently I'm already tipsy because I'm I'm saying the names of my things wrong. That's okay. But that's what I'm drinking. And I instead of ice, I put in some uh, frozen uh, cherries. I love, Ooh. first of all, you said the word pungent, and I need to come back to why someone would drink something with the word pungent on it. Well, you know, you got the four other flavors in there to mix it up. You know, I, I haven't noticed any pungency, but it's famous for that, I guess. Okay. Ooh, Maybe yeah. it's a smell okay danielle what are you drinking my friend oh i'm i'm boring so because it's early i'm just going with a vanilla latte but i put whipped cream on it oh yes you did i like it i like so, it. you know yeah. that's fancy i woke up and took the dogs for a walk and then went to starbucks i already i already coffeed myself Ooh. this morning okay nice. so ryan for the fans out there that may not know you what do you write uh first i want to add sour was the one i was missing oh I forgot sour. The word okay. sour uh, but gotcha. I write a lot of things. Um, I mostly write graphic novels, although I've been dabbling in many other things. Uh, people may know me from the graphic novel band book club. Uh, mm. um, my newest book is called Occulted. Uh, I've done lots of things on the internet, such as learn to read Korean in 15 minutes. And I've written for uh, Popeye and Star Trek uh and garfield many other kinds of things i do a lot of different work that's all at ryanestrada.com oh wow wow very cool okay so what began the journey we like to scooby-doo where did we begin this journey and this desire to write because writing comics i know you know this but i'm for the audience at large writing comics is a very different medium than writing other kinds of prose including scripts including things like that but um, what made you decide to go down this route? Um, well, I wish I could say specifically what moment made me want to be a writer, but it happened before I have memories. Uh, my mother says that among my first words were like, I'm going to be a professional cartoonist. Like I was waiting and I'm like, I got to learn how to talk so I can tell people this. I'm going to, this is what I'm going to do. And I just was always doing it until uh I was six years old and I decided it was time to go pro. I'm like, I've been doing this long enough, enough enough of this amateur stuff. And I went to the library and I started uh, asking like, how, what do you guys know about putting together a submission packet for syndicates? And they got me everything I needed. And I pitched my comics out to everywhere. And uh, 
I kept bothering the same newspapers until one of them hired me when I was 16 years old. So it took me a decade, but that's just basically what I've always known that I was going to do. It's never been an, an option to do anything else because my brain was just born that way, I guess. Oh, really? Um, I think that's fascinating because I think a lot of storytellers are like that, like that have been wanting I used to put on shows that was how I did it I put on shows for all my mom and all of her friends you know that sort of thing so what was the first thing you published the first thing I published was um it was called pet peeves and it was uh it was a weekly comic and my local newspaper the Oakland Press uh and it was just about a family and their pets the main character was an orange cat who's too lazy to chase mice. So you can imagine where my influences were at that period. Um, it was, my, it was, was one of my favorite characters ever. So yeah. I do know. Yes. Yeah. It, it was basically just a ripoff of Garfield because that was my only life experience was reading Garfield <laughs> at that point. Well, that's very cool. So um, do you do this full time? Is this your job mm-hmm. for lack of a better yeah. word? Yeah, it took a long time. I, I finally went full time as an author, making my own work uh, about a year and a half ago. Um, before that, I was teaching uh, English. I for a long time I was moving to a new country every year and finding work, uh, either teaching English. I worked in a Citibank call center for a while, um, just finding work overseas so that I could travel and make comics. And um, there was a decade where I was where I was a full time cartoonist but I was doing like terrible, terrible comics for like clients. I did custom comics. So I did a lot of like draw my boyfriend as a superhero, draw how we met uh, to pass out our wedding. And so many comics for pharmaceutical companies, they commission a lot of comics and they're really terrible. Um, and I, after about 10 years of that, I'm like, man, I'm so happy. I'm a full-time cartoonist. Oh, wait, I hate everything I've made for 10 years. I need to stop. And then it took it. And I'm like, I decided from now on, I'm only going to make art that I'm passionate about. And it took another 10 years for me to make a living at doing that. Well, I, I think that's smart that you got away from it. I kind of wonder sometimes for artists and comic book artists and just artists in general, because I have a friend that does caricatures, right? And he's done caricatures for me for like 10 years. And, but I, I've often, often asked him like, cause he makes money doing it. He does it for Disney things like that. But I'm like, does that drive you crazy? And he's like, yes, but it affords him to be able to do his art on the side. So he does it, but I can't imagine for 10 years, that's all you're creating. That would be like crazy. Yeah, um, I, I, I know like every artist is different, but for, for me, and it sounds like your friend, like a lot of people you can do art for other people, even if you're not passionate about it, but everyone destroys a small piece of your soul and you're like giving away these small pieces over and over again. And like, I, you know, I, I talked about drawing, like for me, drawing is not the part that I'm passionate about. I actually don't like drawing that much, despite how much I do it. I love writing and drawing is a way to get the type of stories that I like telling out in the world. Cause um, you know, I, I like writing comics. I've also written novels and we're working on those, but um, the things that people know me for are comics. And now I've, I've, there are some of my books that I've worked with other people, but, um, but yeah, so that period when I was uh, making stuff for other people, it basically took the part that I'm passionate about completely out of the process because I was, you know, they were just 
telling me their story or telling me how great the CEOs of the pharmaceutical company are. And I just have to draw it as simply as possible. And so it, that's where the, the passion was taken out. And it, it chipped away so much of my soul that the part of that 10 years of recovering wasn't just figuring out how to make a living at it. It was figuring out how to enjoy writing and making comics again, because uh, I just, I stopped doing it. I stopped enjoying it. Oh, that's never good. That's never good. I'm glad you recovered that because that's terrible. So you do write novels, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. Um, mm -hmm. So what do you think the biggest difference is? Like when you're sitting down to do that, because I mean, obviously with comics or graphic novels, you there's a little bit of show. You get to show mm -hmm. some of what you're doing. You can do a, a, a scene where you're showing a reaction to something versus describing it, right? But yeah. um, what is the difference do you think yeah for me the biggest difference was uh the first time I wrote a novel was about two years ago and the reason was like I'd been working on these uh big graphic novels for clients and it takes so long it's like a four-year process and also there was there's always like a month waiting for feedback where you can't do anything and so I'm like I wonder if I could write a whole book in the month I'm waiting for feedback on my previous book so I wrote a graphic novel in a month or, sorry I wrote a novel in a month what? And at the end, wow. I'm like, I'm like, wait, so it's just like, it's just done. Like, I don't need to pencil it. I don't need to ink it. I don't need to letter it. I don't need to color it. It's just like the words are on the page and I can just show it to people. That's amazing. <laughs> and now I'm in love with novels. Um, but yeah, I mean, one of the biggest, I mean, well, story-wise, uh, for me, like telling a story is telling a story because most of my writing process, I'm not at the keyboard. My writing process is when I'm riding a bike, when I'm sitting on a bus, like if I'm working on something, I'll literally just go out, get on the first bus and just sit on it for two hours and like not even know where I'm going because that's what makes my mind work. And I just watch it in my head like I'm watching a movie. And then the process of physically writing, I like rush back to my desk and like just try and get it all down like I'm remembering a movie that I watched. And it's just a format. Do I write as do I type as a script or do I type as a novel? And I was afraid for a long time to write a novel because uh, when I was a kid, I, I remember specifically the moment that scared me, like when I was reading The Hobbit as a kid, and uh, there's a lot of description in that book. And I remember being yes. like, he's, he is still talking about what the inside of this house looks like. I'm going to skip like 20 pages. And it's like, he's on the next picture frame. This dude is still talking. I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how much is it too much. I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know how to write a novel. And I just was too scared to try because of that experience of like, I don't understand why there's this much information. So I must not know how to write a novel. And then well, the first time um, I, wrote I think we can all concur that that is way too much information. Yeah. I know some people absolutely live and die by those books, but it's yeah. kind of like the person who wrote Clan of the Cave Bear, whose name escapes me, but her book four was describing the wheat for like 10 pages that the person was walking Basically, past. And I'm that's like, what, yeah. yeah, I'm like, this is too much, too much. Yeah. I don't care. Yeah, That's what scared me away is not knowing like, am I, if I don't write like that, like am I not a novelist? And then the, what, what worked for me is the first novel I wrote was um, it's kind of like a, uh, I don't spoil too much because it hasn't even come out yet, but it's, it's about um, ro like robots. It's like a, a parody of like Terminator and it was about like a robot who is feels socially awkward about not 
not sounding human. And so I just went ahead and fired through. And every time I felt that my prose was awkward, I just leaned into it and had him comment on it. And so I just fired right on through and I'm like, I'll fix it later. And at the end, I'm like, no, it all works for the character. I'm leaving it all in. That's pretty awesome. That's very cool. Danielle, new format. I don't want to take up your question time. Please feel free. Oh, no, of course. Um, I'm just wondering if you have you uh, heard about the new Stanley documentary on Disney Plus? I've heard about it. I haven't watched it. I was just wondering if you had any thoughts on the controversy with Jack Kirby and this whole mm. creator artist versus writer and where the credit lies in in this whole creativity process. Yeah, I mean, with comics, it's a lot more collaborative of a medium, uh, whereas, you know, one person, you know, there are artists that do everything, but when, when you're in any sort of a collaboration, like everyone is involved in every step of the process, and it's hard to say who made this and who didn't uh, make this, but like, Stan Lee is notorious for uh, just saying everything is his. If he if he walked past your desk when you made it, he's the creator of the character, basically. Um, so yeah, there there there's the, the controversy there. You know, I still have respect for Stan Lee. He did a lot of things, but he also oh, uh, other people did a lot of things that he says he did. I think yeah, the term that Stan Stanley's greatest creation was Stan Lee. Yeah, I think basically. that kind of sums it up nicely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stories like that in comics, like with Bill Finger uh, saying that he uh, created Batman uh, and his his role was saying, hey, you should make a guy that's a bat. Oh, wow. Bob Kane, yeah. Oh, Bob Kane. Sorry, I'm getting backwards. I think Bob Kane yep. is the one who said it. And Bill Finger mm -hmm. was the one that never got credit until recently. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was the whole there, there's all that going on, but yeah, I've, I've been reading back and forth on, you know, uh, Neil Kirby coming forward and saying everything, and, and there was just another uh, editorial on the uh, on the documentary and the back and forth. But as another comic book creator, I'm just wondering where you stand, being that you do your drawing and your writing. Yeah, well, and, I also you I mean, still have done some collaboration. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, I do collaboration. I think that's another. You're asking the differences between uh, you know writing comics and writing prose. That's another big difference is that comics can be much more collaborative in that like um, every time I start a new book with a an artist if someone else is drawing it I ask them in advance how they like to collaborate some people like um, tell me exactly how many panels are on the page what happens in each panel what expression does everyone make how do we break up the word bubbles and some people like like I just tell them this is what happens on the page you figure out how you want to draw it and everyone's different and the, I love working with other people, not just because I'm very lazy and don't actually like drawing that much, but because when I when I see other people put something else into my work, it's it it always gets better because it's someone else is bringing something to it, and uh, it all like the art is part of the writing because in comics, uh, like you're you're writing what people are what people's facial expressions are and like all of these things that. And sometimes an artist will draw a facial expression and you realize, oh, I don't need half of this dialogue because the look that that character gave uh, says it all. So you just cut half of it. Cool. So um, when it comes to uh, doing the comics, are you self-published? Do you go through a publisher for the We lose you, Erica. Oh, we're frozen. 
Okay, I think she. Yeah. Okay, oh, you're back. Back. Okay. back. Did I freeze? Yep. Yes, you're back. Yeah, I'm froze. Sorry, but I heard the question. Okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> Stormy weather in the mountains. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I mean, I I have self-published things in the past for a lot of my um, writing career. That's what I was doing. I was self-publishing online and self-publishing my own books. Um, all my most recent books have come out through a, a publisher called Iron Circus uh, Comics out of Chicago. And the book I'm illustrating, uh, writing and illustrating right now with my wife is coming from Penguin Workshop. So I've, I've had both sides of it. Um, and I've, I've, I've been doing this a long time. So I've, I've, I've been in all sorts of different parts of pu the publishing world. Well, and so let me ask this then, what has that been like? Um, what is the difference that you feel when you're publishing? Because I don't know this. When you're publishing a comic, what is the difference there? Like, do you have to, how do you have to supply it? Because when you're, you know, doing prose, generally you're just turning in a manuscript, the written word, you know, Times New Roman, 12 font, you know, double space. Like there's usually a very standard thing. So what is the mm. difference with that? I mean, it just goes through many, many more steps where you first write your script and that goes through multiple revisions. And then you do thumbnails, which is just very quick sketches of this is what the page is going to look like. And then from that, you take it to pencils. From that, you take it to inks and you get feedback on every one of those points. And, you know, every publisher is different. Like with um, uh, some publishers, it's very much more loosey-goosey. Like they're just like, oh, yeah, this looks good. Uh, I changed this and this. Now I'm working with uh, Penguin and there's a lot more detailed feedback. One of the things that was making me laugh this week is that um, when they're giving me corrections on the, the script and they they give me like very detailed uh, notes on the the lines that I wrote describing what I'm going to draw. And I'm like, that's a note to myself. No one's ever going to read that but me. The, the, the pronunciation, I mean, the capitalization of the words does not matter, but they are very thorough. So it's a long, long process. What do you think when it comes to um, like the descriptors and stuff like that? Because you were kind of talking about that a little bit with the the Hobbit and stuff. Where do you think you're? Obviously, you have a lot of dialogue in comics. I'm eventually mm -hmm. going to get to this question. I promise. There's a lot of vodka that somehow hit my brain. Um, what do you think when you went to write the descriptors? Are there descriptors you have to put in comics versus not, or the you know, that sort of thing. So obviously when you're reading, you have to tell them where they are, but mm -hmm. have you found that your descriptors are more succinct because of doing comics? I mean, that's, that's part of the discussion that you have with the artist. Um, if, if another artist is going to draw it and like how much detail do you want, or would you rather just me just let you go nuts? So like, you know, there are periods, especially like, it's like writing a film script. Like when someone enters a room, when someone goes to a new location, you want to just describe where they are, what they're doing. And then, you know, there are sometimes in comics, there's periods where someone is having a conversation and you might be able to get away with just saying what the dialogue is because we've already set up what the room is and the artist can go from there. And even if I'm writing for myself, I still, you know, I might, you know, the process takes a so long, it might be a year before I'm drawing this. So I got to remember what was in my head. So you, you put a lot of the information there and you can decide more or less depending on who's drawing it and what you think that person's going to want. I got it. Okay. See, I'm learning things. I'm learning things today. Danielle, how about you take the, the question before the break? Uh, have you taken novels to graphic novels? Have you done that uh, transition? And if you have, what's uh, that like? I mean, I, I've never, 
adapted a novel into a graphic novel, but a lot of the the things that I write, like I don't know what the end form is going to be. Um, I'll just, okay. like I said, I watch in my head like a movie and like, am I going to write this as a novel? Am I going to write this as a graphic novel? Is this going to be a story I tell in a podcast? Is this, you know, what is this going to short film? And so, I mean, it, for anything, it's kind of the initial version is just a story that I see in my head and I'm adapting it. Everything I do is an adaptation basically, because I'm adapting it into whatever its final form is. And so for me, it's like, um, like if there's a movie that you've seen a million times and you just, you want to show it to someone else, but like it, you can't because it doesn't exist. It's only in your brain. So I have to sit down and figure out what format can I use to show this to people. Okay. Makes sense. Okay. We're going to take a yeah. quick break and we will be right back with drinking with authors. Hey listeners. You know me, Eric Lance. You're just listening to me in the podcast that you have. But guess what? I'm doing something new. Yeah, she's joining me, Mark Muncy, the author of the Erie, Florida book series in Erie, Appalachia. And we are hosting a new podcast called Erie Travels. Woo-woo, Erie Travels, which covers things like ghosts, cryptids, weird stuff, UFOs, men in black, all kinds of fun things that people talk about and I'm sure you've discussed with friends. Yep, and you can listen to us on your favorite podcast platform of choice or find us at eerietravels.com and join in the fun and all the spooky goodness. And of course, Mark, what do we always say? We'll see you on the other side. Okay, we're back. So Ryan, you slipped a little something in um, when we did the last um portion of the show which was my wife mm-hmm. so you said you're writing with your wife how mm-hmm. how is that that is really cool so that came about completely by accident my wife Kim Hyun-suk uh never planned on being a writer has no interest in comics comics is a super dorky thing her husband does that she puts up with and then one day when we were uh hiking together on a mountain she casually drops about how something reminded her of when she was hunted down by the kcia for reading banned books in the 1980s and i'm like wait what she's like oh i was in a banned book club there's the dictator we'd read books no big deal and i'm like wait what? she's like oh yeah i helped smuggle books across the country and it was a whole thing don't worry about it and i'm like well okay we've known each <laughs> other for over a decade um so i tweeted about it and we got offered a book deal based on those tweets oh my goodness and so and the original question was, do you want to write a book about this? And I said, uh, no, I want to co-write a book about this because I'm going to force my wife to like, it's not my story to tell. Uh, but, you know, my wife needed me involved in the process because, like I said, no interest in comics and no knowledge about how to make them. So we were we were able to work together. And um, and so it was interesting her being able to see what I do and then we actually actually got to do both sides of the process because she was hired to translate her own book into Korean for the Korean release. And so then we just kind of switched places where at first it was me at the the laptop typing and her telling the story. And then we switched and it was her at the laptop typing and me explaining like, you know, she'd ask questions about why did you write this this way? What does this mean? Oh my God, it's a pun. Why did you write a stupid pun in the book? (laughs) Um, explain, Explain what the pun is so I can make it work in Korean. And so she got to understand what I do. And now we're working on a couple more books together about her experiences. So that was really cool cool. of uh, um, 
peer pressuring her into becoming an author. I love that peer that's pressuring cool. to author artistdom. My question is then with everything that's going on stateside now with banned books and stuff, like I feel like somehow we hit a time warp and we're going back in time with this stupid crap that's occurring. Ugh, I could go down a whole rabbit hole. I'm not going to. But um, I just got back from um, the American Libraries Association and they had a huge thing basically around banned books. I was there. Yeah. Um, what, how does, with what everything you're writing, how does that kind of fall into place? Because this obviously happened back in time and now we're, we're, we're back there again. It's like cyclic repeat of stupid stuff. Yeah. Well, speaking of rabbit holes, I'm going to try not, I've, I've been doing a lot of book talks on this. I'm going to try not to accidentally slip into my one hour rant about this, but um, <laughs> yeah, history, our book is literally about how history repeats itself. And I did not expect history to repeat itself so thoroughly that like when the reason we got this book deal is because my publisher was so incredibly shocked at the idea that just 30 years earlier, democracy had had banned books. And now in America, Banned Book Club is a banned book. It was banned in Clay County, Florida. Um, and so it's and it's weird hearing people say things about my book that are written in my book, and they don't know because they didn't read it. But it's a it's it's history repeating itself. And you know, it, it, we talk about how it feels like we're going backward. And but what I'm realizing because after our book got banned in Florida, I actually volunteered. I I called up the, or emailed the local librarians and organizations. And I said, look, I just watched the video of this guy showing up like, to deliver the book ban. He's there every month screaming about how the librarians need to go to prison. I volunteer to fly 8,000 miles from Korea to Florida to go up to the next school board meeting after him and say, actually, I think you're doing a good job. And after a few weeks, they said, actually, we changed our mind. Please don't come. We're scared. It's too dangerous. And uh, so I didn't go there, but I, I worked with the organizations there. I went to another city and our idea was like, it, it's better to talk to other local people because they'll, if I go in and talk, they're going to be angry that I'm an outside agitator. But if I kind of rally the local people, I would talk to politicians, I talk to faith leaders, I talk to teachers, I talk to mayoral candidates and try and get them to talk, they'll listen because What's going on right now isn't America just randomly moving backward. It's a very coordinated effort uh, done by very powerful people. 61% of the bans are, are done by 11 people. And uh, the guy who banned our book, Banned Book Club, uh, is banning books in a school district where he does not have a child. He moved there from New York uh, a year ago. Uh, funded by organizations to start this group. So basically it's his full-time job and it's it's just people trying to make it sound like it's concerned parents. But I I, I did, I, sorry, I did move into my one hour. No, end, it's, but, um, it's <laughs> I think it's great to share yeah. it because, you know, I think people don't know in a lot of, um, I think authors and uh, readers, of course, mm. are sitting there going, what the fuck is happening? Like, I mean, I sit there and, you know, I moved from Florida about two years ago, mm -hmm. um, not because of, uh, you know, I wanted seasons, which Florida doesn't have. Um, they have hot and then hurricane, which is a mm -hmm. legitimate season down there. But I have my son lives down there, like I have friends and I, it's 
just amazing to and you kind of go this can't be happening like how are we watching this happen how is this happening right because how do we go from the celebration of art to this is damning our child you know yeah well i mean one of the reasons is because the people that fund guys like that to move to places and ban books are the same people that um that are trying to weaken the public school system because they profit off of private schools it's all business but they know that they can't that's not going to win people over so they're just willing to lie and shout about there being pornography in schools when there is not no it's true i was like do we ever does nobody remember flowers in the attic like i, I literally say oh the clan of the cave bear i can go down the list of books that you know we were well, they did it in comics too with the comic code yeah. You know, it's it's the same. It's just a recycled thing. We They did it with the comic code. And I think Stan Lee was the first one to publish a Spider-Man comic without the comic code approval. And that kind of got things going when he stood up. Uh, I forgot the gentleman's name who was kind of going off about comics being pornography and this and that and what it was going to do to the youth and, and all this stuff. So it's really a, a recycling of that mindset of, you know, which is just fear-based and all this other things. And they're coming for the comics next. I mean, they're just going to move on. It's, they're just, it's one thing after another. And the comic industry is most likely next because it is more free in what it expresses. Mm -hmm. And they'll just, they'll hit that next. It's, it's bound. I mean, when you think about what comics write about, even um, there's a gentleman Jeremy and I can't think of Jeremy's last name here. It's AWA. He did the retelling of The Great Gatsby, and he's it's, it's a phenomenal retelling. It's it's really great. But I've been on his page when he does signings and the things that some of these people write. It's ridiculous, and it's a queer retelling. It's it's beautifully done. But the stuff that they write about and they've they've tried to go after him for you know the book should be banned and all this. It's a graphic novel, and it's so well done and it's just it's horrible that they want to go after just. It's, you know, it's artistic freedom mm-hmm. and they want to just kind of keep going after all of these things. And it's like, isn't this what we're kind of based on is this idea mm-hmm. that you can express yourself, but if it doesn't fit into that box, then yeah, you know, mean, they want to take it away. Yeah. They're already coming after comics. The comics are very easy to come after because you can take a panel out of context and show it and be like, look at what they're putting in these books. But like you could have the exact same thing described in a novel and they wouldn't blink an eye because you need your imagination and you need to read carefully to have that image presented in your mind. And they do not read well or have uh, very strong imaginations. And also in order mm-hmm. to make other people mad, they'd have to be like, read this block of text and you see how saucy it gets. But you can pop a, a, a panel of a comic on Twitter and be like, let's ban it and people will get angry. Yeah, it's, it's low hanging fruit. Yeah, very true. Are we ready for satanic panic then again? Because I think that that should obviously, you know, be next. Um, I'm sure it's, it's, yeah, any day now. Any Mm -hmm. any day let's have, you know, satanic panic happening because that's just, yeah, whatever. Um, So let's talk a little bit more about... um, going through the process so you wrote a novel how long was the novel you wrote in a month uh i don't remember i'd have to look it up think about like fifty thousand words something like that 
Oh, I'm so jealous of you right now. That's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> Super jealous. Um, so what is, now that you're able to write full-time, uh, what is your ideal like writing environment like? Like I see your wonderful office. Is What is it like for you when you sit down? What do you need? Do you need snacks? What do you need? Um, the writing, like I said, I write on buses. I write on bikes. I write things in places like that. And then even though I have my office set up, like I never actually write here. Like I don't, I can't write sitting at a desk. I, I draw in my office and when I'm writing, I'm usually like squatted on the couch or sitting on the floor or like you tapping it out on my phone in a, in a gazebo outside. I need to be like for writing. I need to be, I don't know, in a place where you wouldn't normally want to write. I guess my brain just works that way. <laughs> If I'm like at a desk and it's all like official and like, you know, I, I, I can't do that. I got to be loose and, and weird when I write. Why do you think that is? I don't, I don't know. I think just like sitting down at a desk, it just feels so official and like. Um, professional. Yeah. Professional. And I like to, I like to get weird with it, you know, like, I mean, I, you know, there's different types of things that are like when I write like band book club or like occulted my new book, that's like, um, occulted is like a retelling of like the my friend's most traumatic experiences about like growing up in a um a ufo death cult and using banned books to escape like when i write something like that i have to like that's when i'm serious because i'm like this is someone's story they're trusting me with uh like if i write something incorrectly like i could traumatize uh my friend so like i i do kind of have to be official and i'll 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 be a little you know i'll maybe i'll like sit at the kitchen table and write but then like in between that I think that's another reason I wrote that book that book in a month the silly like robot book because I'm like I need to write about someone like I can make a a weird robot do anything I want and I don't have to worry about traumatizing the robot <laughs> so like um that's when I'll just be like you know I'll just go sit next to the river on a bench and like type out on my little keyboard on my phone because I, I just want to be loose and weird Wow. What about your editing process? How do you do that then? Uh, I mean, that uh, oftentimes I'm, I'm at a desk because um, I'm, you know, I need to like, when the editing process is more difficult because like, I need to like try and get the book back in my head because I work on so many different things at once. I'm always working on like seven different books at the same time. And so like, I'll forget like, where was I in this draft? What's, what's going on? And like confusing. And even like right now I've been editing uh the third book I'm writing with my wife and it has all the same characters the second book so as I'm editing I'll I'll get confused I'm like wait was I setting up this arc in the second book or the third book I don't even remember so I have to sit there and read the whole book and then okay I got it in my head now I can edit it so that oftentimes I'll do at a desk I was gonna say so do you do you keep like world building bibles and stuff like that for this or do you you sound like a epic pantser which i formally appreciate but. yeah i mean i no i for like there are things that i that i've written that were just in my head for like 10 years before i ever put anything on paper and i don't write things down because like i said I, i've watched it over and over again each time it like changes a little bit in my head and so if if i write something down i'm just going to kind of like lock lock into that and like I find it so much easier rather than like sit down and edit all of these notes over the years uh, of things that have changed and then not even remember like, why was this ever in here to begin with? If something's boring enough that I don't remember it, 
I don't have to edit out because I forgot it. <laughs> Never tried to put it down. And yeah. sometimes I'll find little notes that I wrote and I'll be like, what, what was that even for? What part of the book was that going to be in? I love that. I just meant your books you already wrote, like keeping mm-hmm. track of this, you know, where you were going with them. I do the same thing, honestly, is I okay. go back and I listen to the books in the series when I'm writing the next one going, okay, this is what I was doing with this thing. But now that I'm going into my fourth series that I'm writing, mm-hmm. I I have to write stuff down because I can't go back and like read or listen. I do audiobooks usually, but I can't mm-hmm. go back and listen to all the books and do it. I have to start like, okay, this character, like just even notes about the character. This is what this character looked like. This is what this, I gave this character a boyfriend whose name was Bob. Like I have to keep these kind of things. Cause when I'm, even when I'm, I'm like, okay, this is a lot of time. Do I have time to listen to three books before I keep writing this other book? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just, that was what I meant by world building, not like what, where you're going, yeah. but what you did. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, uh, when I did like web comics that have a lot more ongoing things, but a lot of the thing, things I've done so far are more standalone. And the it's, this is kind of a new thing with the, the sorry, the two sequels to band book club. Um, that I'm working on with my wife because it is kind of a continuation, but they're also standalone books. So I'm trying, I'm trying to get that balance of making it feel if you read them in order, it feels like a series, but also each one is a standalone story with the same characters. So, yeah, I mean, since I, you know, there's only one book published and I'm writing those two at the same time, it's much easier to keep everything kind of in, in check and know where you're going. For me right now, the only confusion is like, uh mixing up the second and third book since I'm writing them at the same time. Well that makes sense. What about um oh I had the question. Here it comes. Where is it? Oh, what about with comics? Because I know in comics, not that we don't do this in prose, leave little Easter eggs that we might use, but is that the same with comics? Like how long is your longest series of comics right now? Um I usually I mean, a lot of the things that I did as web comics would kind of end at like 200 pages and become like a graphic novel. And I just put it on my site as a graphic novel. So usually it, it's it's about that. Okay. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it, with Easter eggs, like that's something you have to think about when you do it. Because um, like when I first started making comics, I was making this comic that was set in a video game store. And I thought like, I'm going to... I'm going to make a joke title for every video game in the background of every panel. <laughs> and I'd like design covers and like make names. And like I had a whole series and like continuing jokes where like in the next strip, there'd be the sequel. And, and then all of a sudden I look at them, I realize I'm like, this comic is completely unreadable because there's so much visual information. The reader doesn't know what to look at. So I'm putting so much work into making my comic worse, but you know, so I still put Easter egg, but you got to kind of keep it subtle. No, that makes sense. Makes sense. Okay, Danielle, do you have any other questions before we go into those literary briefs? Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna come up with an, I got another comic question. Um, okay. I know you said that in the beginning, Garfield and, and things like that were were influences, but as you got older, were there any writers or artists that influenced you from comics more? Um, I think one of the people I uh, respect most in comics is Jeff Smith, who did the Bone series. Mm-hmm. um just that I mean that's something that I don't know that I can do like that that kind of 
I mean, if you've seen the one volume edition, it's like that thick. It's like so long. But like, I would love to make a, a series that long. But I, um, yeah, I, so far, everything, I, I try to make everything like standalone, like 200 pages-esque. But yeah, the just his, his the way he balances so many different tones and like there's humor, there's fantasy, there's action. That's what I like to do in, in my stories is not just make them one thing or one genre. Um, and I'm really inspired uh, by Korean movies is another thing that inspires me because Korean movies, um, they don't have a genre. Their, their genre is just movie. Like this, this scene is scary. Okay, the genre of this scene is horror. And then the next one is comedy and sometimes 10 genres in one scene. So that's what kind of also inspires me. Oh, very cool. Okay. Then we go into that, which is the literary briefs. I don't know why dun, I did dun, it dun. that way, but I think it's because I'm most yeah. of the way done with my vodka. So, um, okay. Literary briefs, rapid fire questions. The first one is always, what is your favorite book of all time? My favorite book of all time is a Kim Jong-il production. Uh, and that is the story of it's a true story of how one day Kim Jong-il decided he wanted North Korean movies to be better. So he had his favorite uh, director and favorite actress kidnapped and brought to North Korea. And he forced them to make a rubber suit monster movie for him. And it is the wildest story you will ever read. It says so much about how the world works and how politics is based on filmmaking and like how propaganda works. But it's also just a crazy story about a about two people being kidnapped and forced to make a rubber suit monster movie. It is wild. Wow. What about By your Paul favorite Fisher. comic book of all time? Uh, I mentioned Jeff Smith. I think Bone. If if I can if I can say Bone the complete edition, uh then sure. It's your that, podcast. That, you can yeah. say whatever you want. Like that epic. That whole epic uh bone, yeah. Very cool. What about your least favorite book? Oh, my least favorite book. I don't know. I mean, it, it'd probably just be like, you know, one of those terrible for political reasons books by a person who's, who I don't want to give the satisfaction or promotion to. I'm, I'm down with that. Down with that <laughs> as well. Okay. I do have a, this is, I probably should have asked this in the other segment, but here we go. What, I've noticed that there's a huge difference sometimes between um, I, I don't read another language at all, um, but uh, the the way storytelling goes in other countries, like I'm just going to use this as an example, the movie The Ring, right? The um, uh, not American version of this ended very differently and they don't care about cliffhangers. Like I, I feel like in America, we have to wrap everything up like with a bow, like it's an incessant need to finish things or something. I don't know what it is. What what is the biggest difference that you find in looking at, you know, you joked about your wife saying, why'd you put a pun in this, right? Um, mm -hmm. What is the difference between writing to something that's in another language versus here? I think uh, with Korean movies, one I already mentioned how they um, they shift genres and things, but also Korean movies are not, and Korean stories are not afraid to have a, a sad ending. Um, like things oh. can just not work out. And also my favorite, favorite thing about Korean storytelling is that the hero uh, does not have to be perfect and does not have to do the right things. Like all of my favorite Korean movie movies and books are where they take what would be a very cliche 
American Hollywood genre and be like, but what if a total dork were the main character and just has zero of the skills necessary and just should never be trying to resolve the situation and then doesn't because they don't have the skills necessary. So it's fast. I find it so much more interesting. Like I, I have no interest in like James Bond stories because he has whatever tool he needs. He has whatever skill he needs. He can resolve any situation. Whereas in a Korean story, there's just some complete, complete friggin' loser who <laughs> can't even tie his shoes and he's trying to save the day. And guess what? He doesn't because he sucks at it, but it's so much more interesting watching him try. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I think that lends itself to one of my biggest pet peeves sometimes as stories is I get creating a hero and stuff like that. I get super irritated when the character does something that there is no way in hell they can do. Mm -hmm. Right. They, and also when they get given so many powers from things that you're like, this is just dumb. They're overpowered. They're overpowered for whatever. I need a Blake. Yeah. Don't get me started with that. But it's also true with some stories. Like one of the things I loved about Kick-Ass, which I think a lot of people didn't was. We lost you. I think, I think I could finish that for you, Erica. But we'll wait for her to come back to tell Mm -hmm. us how great Kick-Ass was. Okay. There you oh, go. There You're you back. Are. I'm back. Sorry. Oh, man. it's really stormy today. I apologize. But um, I liked how he got his ass kicked all the time. Like he mm-hmm. did. Yeah. He was not walking back in all great. Like his his costume was torn up. He had the shit beat out of him. You know, like I I love that because if somebody decided to get themselves all dressed up to go do that, that is likely what would happen. Yeah, but and that and the translation to film kind of shows. How, how that tendency is in America to make everyone like powered and perfect. Cause like the ending, like they change literally every character's ending. Like for example, like the, the big twist for uh, the, the, um, the Nick Nicholas cage character was in the comics. Like he carries around this mysterious case and you find out it's full of comics. Cause he's a nerd in the movie. It's like, Oh, he has a jet pack with rockets on it or something. And, and then like, now he's a great hero who's saving the day. It's like, no, the whole point is that he shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be in this situation. Exactly. Agreed. Okay, Danielle, questions or take them all? Um, I was going to ask, given what we just discussed, is do you not like the DC Marvel uh, universe in the sense of comics because of that? Because usually the characters are perfect. They usually are overpowered. Uh, do you tend to stick more toward indie comics? Well, I mean, I, I, you know, I mean, what one thing I like about the Marvel characters is they do all have flaws, even if they're like, you know, they're they're kind of cutesy flaws that they can easily, you know, overcome. But they still have all the, you know, I, I enjoy watching the movies. As a kid, I never got into superhero comics, not because of that, but because they weren't standalone stories, and that's kind of why I'm obsessed with standalone stories. Because like okay. I, as a kid, I'm like, I don't have $3 to spend, but if I'm going to spend $3 on a comic and it starts and I don't know who these characters are, I don't know what's going on. And then like, they talk about, man, I'm, I got to go to this big fight. And then I, it ends and it's like, well, time to go to that big fight. And I'm like, wait, nothing happened. I don't know what, 
mm-hmm. I, I just spent three dollars and I'm like, you're bridging between two stories I haven't read. So that's kind of what turned me off on those. And so that's why I enjoy the the movies more because they tell a standalone story that can connect, but does that. So I, you know, I I've been able to later like sit down and read some of the collected volumes, but even those sometimes they don't um choose the volume the issues that tell a complete story. So I that's something I'm obsessed with is like, is this going to tell me a complete story or is it just going to disappoint me? Okay, that's fair. I can understand that. What is your um because you're drinking a weird drink today? Um <laughs> what is your favorite weird food combination? Uh, my favorite weird food combination, I, mean, I don't do it now, but when I was in college, there was this period where I decided that everything I ate was better with uh, cinnamon and raisins. And I added cinnamon raisins to literally everything I ate at any point. And um, I don't know why I did wow. that, but I loved it at the time. Wow. Um, literally, cin- where the hell do wow. you get cinnamon raisins? No, just separately. I have a little jar of cinnamon, shake it on there, add, sprinkle on some raisins, cook it in there, you know. Where does, wow. that, where does that even start? I'm trying to figure out how that starts. How does I that don't start? Know. I just, wow. uh, I, I I was broken, I guess. <laughs> I don't think you're broken at all. I think that's that's fascinating, though, that I'm, you know, I just, I think that there are so many little snacks and comfort foods and there's stuff. I feel like when we were kids, that we're like, well, this is what's here. So we're going to do it. Like, and then it becomes like a favorite snack. We're like, Mm -hmm. this is cool. Like, uh, this is what's in the fridge. I feel like we're much more creative. And I feel in general, males, and this is not derogatory females out there, are more willing to be creative with food combinations than females are in general. Willing to mix stuff together that we're like, oh, what? No, no, whatever. What is that? Totally agree. Yeah. Totally so, agree with that. Um, do you believe in the paranormal? Uh, no, I don't. Well, I mean, I, I believe that we don't know everything about the world, but I believe that a lot of the things that people are aware of uh, are stories that have been passed on and that don't really exist. Okay. And then what do you think of all the recent? Oh, this is my newest question because mm-hmm. there's so much. Um, Doing doing a, a different podcast that I do, we talk a lot about aliens because there has been such a tremendous amount of stuff in the news and things like that and former presidents and stuff kind of, I will say, alluding to the fact that they're insinuating. Yes. Gently pointing. Do you, what do you think about the whole alien thing? Um. Well, I think that there, there are def- there's definitely life out there. It'd be really, really weird if our one random little ball of dirt was the only place that uh, life existed. Um, And I find that incredibly difficult to believe, but um, you know, I, I, I don't know if it's ever visited here. Uh, And I know like I was in the previous episode, we were talking about, you know, them talking about more and more uh, things in the sky. I think a lot of that comes from, you know, people checking more and more, you know, more, detailed um uh satellite systems and everything watching for these things uh and yeah i mean i i a lot of it um, i'm sure is is i'm sure there's a lot of stuff up there that's uh you know 
different things from different countries and different people messing around. And like, I'm sure there's people launching stuff up there that like no one ever noticed before, but now they're noticing it. Is there something from another uh, planet up there? Who knows? I don't know. No, I think there are people that do know. It's just whether mm-hmm. or not they're, they're going to share. I mean, there might not, not be, who knows, but I also think, you know, just percentages, there's no way that um, we could be just out here and nobody noticed anything with all the technology we've thrown up into the universe, right? All the space junk. All the space junk. Somebody's likely to go, what the hell is that weird thing floating there? In whatever yeah. language those, you know, water-based beings speak. Um, so, what about what is because you've lived all across the world, correct? Yeah. Um, what are your favorite places to live and why? Well, I love living in Busan, South Korea, which is where I am now. It's why I stuck around so long because it's just such a um it's such a perfect balance of like a big city, but it has like laid back, it's a also a beach towns has like laid back surfer vibes and like if I look out my window, I can see the world's largest department store and I look out the other window and I see a mountain where I can go walk across the street and like not see civilization. Um, I can go out one of my doors and uh, go kayaking in a river and go out another and go to uh, the Busan Cinema Center where they have Asia's largest film festival. So it's a nice balance of many different things that I love. Um, I love traveling in India because there's, like what I always say about India is that like you can travel for 20 minutes and there's a new language, a new culture, a new kind of food, a new kind of dress. Like it, there's so much variety of life and so many fascinating people and so many amazing things to see. Um, I've lived in so many places and I love things about all of them, but like some of the places, like when I live in Costa Rica, that was amazing, but also uh, it took me, it was a 12 hour trip to go buy bread. And, uh, and it, like, I was, I was in such a remote place that like I did my shopping in Panama. So like, it was great, but I, it was very secluded. So that's why I've kind of settled in Busan for a bit because has all the things that I love, it has the, the wilderness of, of Costa Rica and the city life of other places that I, you know, I, that I, I love living there, but I kind of missed the nature. So it has a little bit of everything. Wow. That's fair. You're very lucky to have had all those experiences. Um, well, I mean, when when I when people heard of when I was doing that new country every a lot of people assumed like, man, this guy must be making a killing off of comics. He's rich. He's traveling the world. And I was like, no, I can't afford to live in America. <laughs> um, if I if I buy a plane ticket to Costa Rica, I can have my own private beach house uh, on the ocean with monkeys in the yard for hundred bucks a month. And uh, if I were in America, I'd be homeless. Wow. Well, you know, and that's really, it's interesting to think of it that way. I didn't even think of it that way, but you know, you, some people think of traveling, I'm going to go to Europe and stuff, but Europe has similar pricing situations, right? But not every country in the world has those similar pricing situations. Mm-hmm. You know, I, that's fascinating, but that's uh, monkeys in the front yard, Danielle monkeys in the front yard. This needs to be a life goal. We have, I was uh, just going to say hashtag life goals. Hashtag um, life goals. Okay, you get the final question, Danielle, before we wrap this amazing episode. Favorite uh, book to TV movie adaptation? Um, probably The Shawshank Redemption. I love that movie. Uh, and I love how much, you know, it, it's, it, 
it's very true to the book while still changing a lot about it and seeing what they change is interesting and like seeing how stories are made and how they took a bunch of vignettes that don't really relate and said, well, why don't we make the same villain throughout so that, you know, it connects better. And um, yeah, I've, I've just always, I mean, it's a, very much a dad movie, but I've, I've loved it since I was a little kid. My yeah. husband loves that movie too. That's his mm-hmm. answer too. He lo- mm-hmm. If that's on, he's got to stop and watch it. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Well, I have to say with that, whoever wrote that, because it, you know, we talk about adaptations a lot on this show, but whoever wrote that also cast that so incredibly well. And they wrote it in such a way mm-hmm. that the story itself is Close. wonderful, but not destroying the original work and not ignoring, mm-hmm. for lack of a better way. I feel like a lot of times it ignores the original work and some of the stuff. But yeah, the Shawshank Redemption yeah. is just phenomenal. And the yeah, anyway, I agree 100%. Yep. Okay, Ryan. You know, okay. Adaptation. No, sorry. No, go ahead. It's your podcast. I was going to say it. Adaptation is such an interesting thing because for me, like I, if someone's adapting my work, I would much rather they go nuts and get weird. Cause like my, my take already exists. I already put it out there. And so I would love to see something wildly different uh, with the same ideas. But when I'm watching sometimes I don't, you know, I don't necessarily like that with other people's work uh, because if there's something I love, like I want to see that, I want to see the version that I love, but like, I guess with my own work, just because I, I'm so close to it and I've seen it so many times. I'm like, I've seen that. Show me something different. No, it's true. And I, one thing on that too, is I, I had this realization the other day, I forget, I was talking to somebody not on the podcast about, um, Oh God, the book is going to escape me. It'll come to me in a moment, but what they loved about that particular book and what like I loved about that particular book and what somebody else loved about that particular, like, it was like, I went, you know what? this is how somebody could never win because we love the book, but there's something about the book that we love or the story, right? Some part of it. And some people is like the hero arc. And like, I, and I'm just going to use this example. Like a lot of people were really pissed off when they did the original Harry Potter movies, because the house elf thing was like, just kind of a little, they threw a couple of the pieces, but not the whole Hermione trying to save the house elves, right? Like that whole story arc was kind of like, we don't have time for this. This is out of the book, right? And I heard somebody talking about how much they loved that and that they were so pissed off it wasn't in the story and they were mad because of that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, who knows what this new TV show is going to do for that sort of situation, right? Because they're going to have mm-hmm. 4,000 episodes in which to do stuff. But I thought it was very interesting because I went, you know what? I can get mad that it didn't have the thing that I liked about that story, but they might've told the part of the story somebody else absolutely loved, or this other person's mad because they didn't tell this part of the story that they really, mm. really liked. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, you know, that that's, what's wild about like what someone's deal breaker is and what the people making it. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, the one of my books that came closest to adaptation was I did a comic called Aki Alliance. Um, it was a web comic that I did about a Japanese American girl trying to make friends with everybody in her class. And uh, one of the largest entertainment companies in the world optioned it to make a TV show for the streaming service. And it was in development and they kept like talking, I uh, kept being like, you know, like I said, I made my version, go nuts, do whatever you want, uh, make it as different as you want. And then the one thing they, they like, we don't want to change anything except one thing. Uh, we want a white girl to play Aki Akuyama. And I'm like, 
wait, that's, that's, that's what you want to change. Why would, why? And I, I questioned that and the next day the show was canceled. Um, so it's, it's a, adaptation is a very weird thing, but like, how do you read the rest of the book that's specifically about who she is and say, we want to keep that. We just want to cast a white kid. Wow. Wow. And that's, I mean, that's one of the big fights that we have with a lot of the stuff is taking things that are supposed to be one um, race or uh, sexuality or something like that. And, you know, that the term, I think they call it is whitewashing it. They go and they, you know, you go, okay, that's, that's interesting. I mean, that was the whole Lord of the Rings thing too. The, what is it? The, um, the TV show, which is not called Lord of the Rings, but the Rings of Power, yep. right? People were like, this character was not black. Who gives a crap what color the Hobbit is? Like, is did that make or break the story they were doing? No, thank you very much. But if it's a core part of the, you know, the comic, the story is because Japanese, well, then you cannot go put a white person in that role, right? Yeah. It doesn't work that way. Um, oh, magic, magic is going. Okay, shameless self-promotion time, my friend. Where can people find you and your work? Uh, anything you want to find about me is at ryanestrada.com, including links to all of my socials. There's thousands of pages of free comics there and information about my books, such as Band Book Club and the Student Ambassador series. And I really hope everyone checks out the new book, Occulted. Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for staying up late to do that with us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Okay, guys, this has been Drinking with Authors and the Literary Briefs. I've been your host, Erica Lance. My co-host has been the phenomenal Danielle Orsino. Our guest has been Ryan Estrada. And don't forget to like, subscribe, review, comment. We love all of that. And we will see you guys next time.